Welcome to the Epiphany Lutheran Church podcast. These messages, based on a biblical text, interpreting the hearer's situation, informed by Christian teaching, creatively proclaim the crucified and risen Jesus of Nazareth for forgiveness and new life starting now. Epiphany Lutheran Church is located in South City, St. Louis, Missouri. Our vision is to be a community that puts Jesus first, neighbors second, and ourselves third by gathering to be served by him so we can grow to love as he loves. Learn more at epiphany-stl.org. That's epiphany-stl.org. A wealthy man in Texas was known for his spectacular parties, theme parties, joyous, creative, riotous occasions of fun, which were attended by a veritable list of who's who, celebrities, the pretty people, those with bulging wallets. But you know, sometimes even fun can be boring and creativity can become tedious and the parties kind of petered out and were no longer the social event of the year. So the wealthy man decided he was going to throw a party to end all parties. And he sent out invitations and each one a handwritten note that said, during the party, I will give either $1 million, one of my ranches, or a portion of my oil holdings to one guest. Details to be revealed at the party. It was a well-attended party. And about two hours in, the wealthy man gathered all his guests around his gigantic swimming pool, double Olympic size, and the guests looked into the pool and they could see crocodiles. And the wealthy man said, I will give a million dollars, one of my ranches, or a portion of my oil holdings to the first person to swim the length of this pool. He hadn't even finished speaking when one of the guests hit the water. And the water started to churn, a big frenzy, the water was roiling, and a couple minutes later, this little wimpy guy climbed out the other side of the pool, bleeding, panting, stripped of his party clothes. (laughs) And the wealthy man came running up and said, you did it, what do you want? Do Do you want the money? Do you want the ranch? Do you want the oil? And the guy said, I want the name of the guy who pushed me in the pool. It's amazing things people can do when their lives depend on a day. I mean, we've all heard stories of feats of superhuman strength, like the tiny mother who lifts a Volkswagen off her trapped kid. But you know, there are some things that we cannot do, even if our life depends on it, even if eternity depends on it. One of which we read in today's gospel, the story of the Good Samaritan, familiar Bible story, isn't it? one of the most familiar. Would you mind if I said we probably misinterpret the story and miss the point and we get all hung up on the details, kind of like that old story of Sherlock Holmes and Watson. And they went camping and they pitched a tent and they had their meal and they had a little bottle of wine and they went to bed. Somewhere in the middle of the night, Holmes poked Watson and said, Watson, look up, look at the stars. What do those stars say to you? 
And Watson kind of cleared his head and said, well, astronomically, there's millions of galaxies, billions of planets, high probability of life in some form somewhere. Astrologically, I see Saturn is in Leo. Orologically, I deduce it's 3, 3.15 in the morning. Theologically, God is magnificent and we weak and insignificant. Meteorologic, meteorologically, I see we're going to have a nice day tomorrow. What do you see, Holmes? And Holmes said, elementary, my dear Watson, someone has stolen our tent. <laughs> Missed the point? Would you mind if I said that the point of the Good Samaritan is not being nice to people? In fact, the whole point is in those five verses that precede the actual story. Would you mind if we went through those? Somebody want to read there? Get, get your... If I had my glasses, I could tell you what page it's on. At the top, it says, Holy Gospel. <laughs> Let's, let's read. Somebody want to read those five verses. Now, here's the deal. Believe it or not, there are those within our denomination who say that you cannot read the gospel in church unless you're ordained. But as long as you're sitting and have your right foot over your left, I think we're okay. Somebody read there. Start with verse, the first one. Uh, stop, stop. Okay. Who, who, who stood up? Lawyer. A lawyer. What is that? What do you think when you think lawyer? What, do you th what comes to your mind? A trial. a trial. Courtroom. Legal transactions. That's not what this is. This is a teacher of the law, an expert in Mosaic law, a theologian. Think seminary prof. Scholarly, knowledgeable, professional, educated, articulate. Okay. Oh, what does this mean? What do you mean put him to the test? Challenge him, okay? Try to trip him up, maybe. Or maybe not. Maybe just kind of uh, challenge, okay? He said, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? All right. Good rabbinic approach, isn't it? Good. This is called catechetical instruction where you ask questions. So the, the teacher of the law said, what must I do to in, inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, what does the law say? How do you read? A little bit of a pokey response, isn't it? Like, well, you're the expert. What does it say there? And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. All right, what does that mean? So, so, so he goes, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus says, got it. Do this and... What does that mean? Eternal. Yeah, not only eternal, but live joyfully and powerfully and wonderfully as a child of God. Live as you were intended to live, not limp along. Live. Here it comes. Here comes the whole thing. Here comes the entire reason for the story of the Good Samaritan. 
Yeah. Would you quit interrupting me, though? <laughs> Bingo. Four words. What are those four words? Desiring to justify himself said. Said. All right. See, he wanted to he wanted neighbor to find so that he would so that he knew what his duty was, eh? So that he could check it off and go done. See, the whole point of the Good Samaritan is that there are things that are impossible for us to do, one of which is to justify ourselves before God. And Jesus spins this tale about an injured traveler along a dangerous section of highway. Two clergy folk go by, pass by, and then comes this seemingly unlikely and surprising savior, a Samaritan. The point of the story is not to help injured people in the road. The point of the story is not even to risk involvement with others. The point of the story is not to go the extra mile in caring and sharing like giving your two denarii and covering the guy's expenses for the entire time at the inn. The point of the story is not to redefine neighbor. The point of the story is that there's no way the lawyer, teacher of the law, or you, or I, or anyone can stand justified before God. This is not some soppy little tale about being nice to people no matter what race, color, creed. This is a hard-hitting word of law spoken to those who think that the program is complete, that they are the good people, that because they've kept the external requirements of the law, they have not murdered, stolen, sold drugs, raped, committed adultery, or coveted their neighbor's donkey, that they can therefore stand justified before God. See, and if the lawyer was listening, the teacher of the law, if he was listening to what Jesus said, he had to walk away going, that's impossible. Can't do that. See, the Jews lived by a very simple credo. Love your neighbor. Hate your enemy. Boy, it makes sense as long as Jew lives next to Jew. But for about 700 years before Christ, Israel began to be populated by non-Jews, Babylonians, Philistines, Greeks, Romans, who moved in whenever their country was in control. So that simple little credo, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, becomes a lot more complex when they're the same person. Do I have to love this one? Is this now my neighbor, this enemy of mine? Is this a neighbor? Do I have to love this one? Can I get away with not loving this one? And by the way, let's take a little side trip. Do you know why the Samaritan was some, such an unlikely hero figure in this story? Do you know why the Samaritans were so despised? Do you remember your history? Your... Israel, how many tribes? <laughs> Twelve. Saul, David, Solomon ruled a united Israel, all 12 tribes. 
Solomon's sons, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, or some kind of Boam, they couldn't get along. They had a power struggle. Israel was divided into two separate kingdoms. The northern kingdom comprised of 10 tribes called Israel. The southern kingdom comprised of two tribes called Judah. Those two tribes were Judah and Benjamin. In 722 or 721 BC or BCE, as people feel the need to call it now, Assyria, under Tiglath-Pileser, conquered the northern kingdom. Actually, it took decades. But by the time it was 722, Israel was belly up. Assyria had this incredibly interesting strategy where when they conquered a land, they would resettle a big portion of the population and sprinkle them throughout their other territories, particularly other territories they had just conquered. And then they would relocate people from those territories back into the hole created when they resettled the conquered land. So there were lots of Jews who were moved out, particularly of Samaria, which was essentially the tribe of Ephraim. And then all these other conquered people were moved in, these non-Jews. And then they intermarried with the Jews who weren't relocated, and their descendants became Samaritans, a hybrid race, half Jew, half Gentile. But here's the worst thing. They claimed they were the true Israel. So despised were the Samaritans that every Sabbath in the synagogue, those Jews in the kingdom of Judah would pray that God would damn those Samaritans to hell. How's that for love your neighbor? In fact, when Jesus finished the story, the good Samaritan said, okay, which one proved neighbor? Did you notice that the teacher of the law couldn't even say the word? Couldn't say Samaritan. He said, well, the one who showed mercy. See, the whole point of this segue now down our little history lane is that the lawyer's question got pulled inside out. Injured traveler, priest Levite, Religious folk, good folk, folk that the teacher of the law with, would have had an affinity with, they passed by for perhaps good reason. Maybe they were going to do some religious ceremony and they didn't want to risk becoming unclean. But then a Samaritan, a Samaritan. So the question, who is my neighbor, doesn't even get answered because it can't be answered because they're all alike. And then worse, Jesus says to the lawyer, go and love like this one you despise. Become like the one you despise. Love like the one you feel has no worth or no value, totally contrary to everything that that teacher of the law had ever been taught or learned or believed. 100% counter to every inclination. And he had to walk away going, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. The lawyer's attempt to justify himself and redefine neighbor failed, as will every attempt of ours to justify ourselves before God. You think we ever do that? You think we ever position ourselves as those who aren't that bad? You know, we're the good people. It's hard for us to acknowledge that we are hapless, helpless, hopeless. Oh, we know we're supposed to say that and that it looks good on paper, 
But when push comes to shove, we like to kind of spin it so that we're the ones who look good, and we do it each other's eyes. But God doesn't measure the way we measure. I cannot tell you how many times I have heard a quiz question. <laughs> it's not the worst mistake I've ever made when speaking. I can't tell you how many times I have heard a Christian, notice the air quotes, essentially say that God is for those who are doing good. You know what, you hear that especially? Funerals. Ah, yammer. Uncle Charlie, boy, if there's anybody who deserves to go to heaven, it's Uncle Charlie. Never said a bad word about anybody. Oh, solid as a rock. You could count on him. Give you the shirt off his back. As if we are justified by relative goodness. Our default, our default is to spin so that God is for those who are doing good, especially if they're Lutheran. It's not truth. It's not truth. We fall so short. So short. It's like if you got to jump 100 feet, we might jump one thousandth of one millionth of one billionth of one quarter of a half of an inch. And the idea that we can stand before God and present to God a list of all of our good deeds and come out on top is ludicrous, laughable, lamentable. What does Isaiah say? All our good deeds are as... Folks, you gotta know this. Filthy rags. All our good deeds are as filthy rags. You really buy that? You think every good thing you do is like a filthy rag and if you knew what filthy rag literally meant in the Hebrew, you'd gag. See, we have a tendency not to think that way. But you know, all of our attempts to justify ourselves, all of our attempts to Uncle Charlie everything, make a lie of the cross. The law says you're not good enough, period. The gospel says you don't need to be. The cross is the gospel. The cross is the proclamation that despite the fact we are hapless, helpless, hopeless, and all of our good deeds are but filthy rags, we are loved, loved. In this one staggering event, the entire human race was put back into right relationship with God. It's like a big Rubik's Cube. It's all messed up. And then It's right. And not only are we loved, we are whole, forgiven, clean. No need to justify ourselves for we cannot and we need not because we've been justified by the one who died and rose again. The cross proclaims that despite the fact there is nothing about us that commends us to God, he reached for us when we could not reach for him and claimed us as his own. You know why that's good news? We can finally give up this insane notion that we gotta swim through the crocodiles. We can't, and we don't have to. 
because it's done. Today, if you come forward to receive, and boy, is this grace and gospel, eh? That's all it is. Invitation, come forward, put your hand out, receive. Today, if you come forward, would you leave behind any notion that you're good enough or that you've got to be good enough or that you're not good enough? It's all irrelevant. And would you just receive what cannot be earned? And would you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you are whole, redeemed, clean? Not because you're so good, but because of the cross. Yeah, a man might swim through crocodiles to save himself. It takes the cross to lift us out of our condition and position us to live. And so be it. Amen.